0: Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the ACTUS podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The ACTUS podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bring you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and ACTUS. Today, Wednesday, July 7th, marks our 183rd program. Today's featured Actis solution, as you can see on your screen, is the 2021 Actis National Conference. After a year in which we and everyone else in the nation had to cancel our live events, Actus is stepping forward to make ourselves and the CDI profession stronger than ever. We hope you can join us October 25th through 28th in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be a great event, a lot of enthusiasm from us and, and from our attendees. Uh, this is a can't-miss event. If you're in CDI, we hope you can make it. Uh, If you're interested in learning more or registering, head on over to hcmarketplace.com. Okay, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of ACTIS, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Risk and Population Health-Based CDI. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left of your screen, Sharm Brody. Sharm is an instructor for our CDI Boot Camps, subject matter expert for ACTIS, She's worked as a consultant providing program audits and implementation prior to joining us here at Actus. She's a member of our CCDS certification committee, our Actus regulatory committee. You've seen her all over the place writing articles, being on the podcast, and I'm thrilled to have her back on. So, welcome, Sharm.
1: Okay, Brian. Hope you had a good fourth.
0: I did. I did. It was very nice. You know, we had a little bit of rain on the fourth, but it, it didn't dampen the, the holiday spirit
1: the spirits well i will tell you, you get a bunch of nice looking people on this screen so the show will be good <laughs>
0: hey you, you you flatter me sharp you know, oh, oh,
1: <laughs>
0: all right next i'd like to introduce our special guest today we have uh, on his first podcast joining us is john blevins john is vice president of strategic business development for health fidelity in san mateo california health fidelity delivers comprehensive scalable risk adjustment solutions for health plans and risk-bearing providers that participate in Medicare Advantage, ACA, Medicaid, and Medicare ACO programs. We were just chatting before the show, John has a very deep and rich and diverse technical background, um, combination of big data analytics and NLP technology. Does Health Fidelity have, they they bring a modern perspective and retrospective risk adjustment solutions that exact valuable insights from medical charts um, John has his MBA from the University of Texas at Austin and I'm pleased to have him on the show. Welcome John. Thank you Brian, glad to be here. Absolutely. We also have with us today more of a familiar guest uh, Dr. James Fee. Dr. Fee is the Chief Executive Officer of Enjoin. As a graduate of Tulane University Health Services Center, double boarded in internal medicine and pediatrics, Dr. Fee maintains a clinical practice in hospital medicine in Baton Rouge, all while, of course, maintaining his joint responsibilities with, with NJoin. They do great work over there. Um, he works closely with NJoin's executive leadership team to bring innovation and CDI transformation to the market, including CDIE, focusing on value-based care, population health CDI, driving population-based analytics across a the continuum. They also have CDOC-T, which is a comprehensive online CDI reference tool I want to welcome him to the show as well. So welcome, Dr. Fee. Thank you. Excited to be here as well. All right. Well, let's start, as we always do, with a poll question related to today's topic. I'm going to go ahead and open that up. Um, Interesting thing about this poll is I like to do from time to time when we have done this show in the past we've done a similar topic in the past uh, we asked the same question back in April of 2020 of course that was the early days of covid and i wanted to see perhaps how the results may have changed you know some 15 months later under quite different circumstances now so we're we're asking you today does your cdi department assist with documentation improvement efforts to improve the capture of population health data and your options are yes, no, but maybe you're planning to do so or further investigate this, no and, and don't plan to or no immediate plans to do so, don't know, We you know that this is still a new and emerging topic. maybe you don't know yet, or not applicable. Um, Again, we're asking you today if your CDI department assists with documentation improvement efforts on social determinants of health and and population health data specifically. So yes, no, no, and don't plan to, don't know and not applicable. I'm going to give this one more moment. It looks like we've got about 70% of our audience that has voted. So we're going to go ahead, close this out, and we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, John Blevins and Dr. James Fee are our special guests today. Good morning, welcome to the podcast. Uh, just quickly setting the stage for today's show, I wanted to just read a little a bit here from Paul Keckley of the Keckley Report. And I have to say, if anyone's listening and you haven't got this free weekly email from, from Paul Keckley, I recommend it. It's a great read, He, he he's a great industry observer. But he wrote in a recent edition um, of his newsletter, consolidation of the U.S. healthcare care has been a staple for 30 years in every sector. Well, what's changed? There are fewer deals, but they're bigger. For example, some recent announcements of the Spectrum-Beaumont merger, Cano's acquisition of Miami U. Health Center, Ochsner's deal with Rush, and Tennant's deal with Stewart in Florida. Um, Vertical consolidators are rolling up new capabilities via their acquisitions. He gives the example of Humana's acquisition of One Home Health, announced recently, CVS Aetna, Optum, TruVeta, etc., and private equity is funding alternative models of care and insurance. Large-cap retailers are building healthcare industry verticals to take advantage of attractive economics of U.S. healthcare spending. He cites Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, etc., This was the interesting part, sort of the punchline. In 2010, horizontal consolidation was the primary focus, but this year, vertical consolidation is the focus as regional systems of health offering whole person care and value-based models displace the status quo. Um, An interesting picture of where we are in healthcare, again, with these vertical mergers going on and Maybe I'll just start up with our guest today and, and kind of toss this over to you, Dr. Fee. You know, where, where where do you see we are today in the shift to value-based care, and 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 how is this changing, or maybe will will be changing in the future, uh, the CDI profession?
2: Yeah, certainly, and, and excited again to be here. I think that a good way to where are we uh, in the shift to value-based care is really to look at where we began um and and really that the using medicare as sort of the benchmark began you know in 2015 with the HHS setting uh goals for 2016 to have 50% of medicare tied to an alternative payment model and the uh healthcare payment learning and action network released some data um about a year or so ago so it's a little old at this point from 2018 comparative to that goal and representing 77% of the market about 36% was uh tied to or, or rev or fifa service or medicare was tied to alternative payment models so so you can see that the, the the adoption is is certainly um uh changing but it's it's changing slow over time the other interesting thing is uh in response to covid um a survey performed by HFMA In their winter journal, showed that net patient service revenue would uh, be at risk uh, at an organization will double in the next five years from about 2.7% to 5.9%. So it was obvious that with COVID, uh, we see that the organizations have uh, found that a, a a risk-based model or a capitated-type model, looking at the the patient care across the continuum, is really the ne- the next uh, forecast of of healthcare. But the so the concept of caring for a patient across the entire healthcare continuum is is obvious, and and, and most people agree. It's how we get there. How do we transition when we're built into a, a fee-for-service model? And and really, you see this in not only the industry but with CDI. So how CDI is going to be reflective of that change is adopting at the level or or aligning with the strategy and the priority of the organization with they operate. And what that means is that CDI began in the acute care space. When we're talking about population health, in a in a quote, risk-based approach, we're looking at the patient and the population level. So CDI is evolving at the pace of the organization uh, that that um, they work within. We see this with quality risk adjustment and the quality metrics tied to these, those uh, value-based purchasing, readmission reduction, et cetera, that are tied to the FIFA service. And then, then we're also seeing social determinants of health, chronic disease burden capture, HCC capture, Beginning as an extension from the acute care space now the 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 big step in the future as organizations evolve will be moving into the non acute care space,
3: mm-hmm.
2: looking at the patient across the continuum um, so that 's kind of where I see where we
0: are at and where we 're moving, and with cdi absolutely okay. yeah it's it's an it's an interesting time and, and i think it's an exciting time, but there is there is some uncertainty as Programs try to evolve CDI programs, particularly to, uh, to to capture that chronic disease burden and and uh, in different settings other than the acute care space.
1: And that is true. And I'm going to jump in with a question. So, how do you sell this type of expansion of uh, the CDI program to your uh, different health systems? Um, you know, and I hear it still all the time that we we're not capturing just CCs and MCCs. There's a there is a lot of critics about. Um, that type of work that we do um, but it is necessary to some extent. Um, we also know that the CMI that is often gives us an indicator that things are going well. but what kind of impact can we expect or what should we be looking for with chronic diseases um, the burdens that they bring or the social determinants of health? what what would we be looking for? what type of impacts?
2: So I'll give a few insights and then, and then certainly uh, John, given his background, will have a, a perspective as well. So I think the biggest change is how, how are you measuring uh, the, and determining the ROI of the program. So you're right, the CCMCC capture, the CMI really, you know, sits in the acute care space and is really uh, a measure of cash flow is a measure of of, of immediate um, impact right that's historically where cdi has come from but as we move to value-based care it's changing those metrics aligning with that quadruple aim Uh, that is looking at you know, capturing the chronic disease burden to determine the justification of resources to care for that patient in all access, in all places of access. So the right patient at the right uh, time in the right setting um, uh, is very important. So when we're measuring and and presenting this up. Outside of the hospital at a at a health system approach, because this would be changing all the aspects of where a patient seeks care, we we look at you know certain preventative care measures, screening. we look at certainly there's a financial with the RAF score uh, there's there's other utilization uh, and and social determinants of health which lead to the barriers or the confounding areas that may prevent people from cer- seeking care in certain settings so john what are your thoughts on on that
3: yeah with all of the different uh apms uh risk models all of the different ways that value-based care is being adopted uh there's so much diversity so much complexity that there's really uh no way that that humans or existing processes alone can really Uh, support and recall everything at once. So, um, you know, going into organizations and augmenting people in process with technology that can sort of keep in in context uh, the broader picture and ensure complete and accurate capture uh, of diagnoses is really the baseline uh, that needs to be set for ACO performance, really any kind of risk sharing arrangement. Uh, which is central to value-based care contracts. So when we go in, it really depends on where the organization is in adopting these different alternative payment models. Are they in a, a upside only ACO? Are they taking on global capitation? And that mix really helps uh, you know, to, to identify the complexity and how technology can help support those, uh, the people and processes that are in place.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to get into that just a little bit more in a moment here, but before we get to sort of the, the technology angle, which I, I know is even more critical in this space, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about at a high level, this could be a show in and of itself, but sort of the process changes, those workflows, um, provider education. What 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 do you guys think are needed to ensure success within these models? It, um, I, I, I feel like provider education is even a bigger piece because we've talked about this before, but you usually in, in these settings, you can't touch every chart. You're not, maybe you're not even querying on all the charts because there's just so many. When you think about outpatient or, or different settings, you might not have a CDI professional at hand to do it. Is, is there anything, that maybe start with you, Dr. Fee, that you think is critical from a process perspective to ensure success within these models?
2: Well, I think I think even more so, um, as John had touched on, is understanding the global picture of the patient hmm. and then the population. And so when you, you do that, you have to begin with the data, right? You need data governance, good data sources, and to understand um where the patient moves through the healthcare system. And so our role in CDI from a workflow is obviously understanding the process at our health system level about their strategy to moving to risk, changing that, you know, that doubling that that dollars at risk. And where we have that role, right? Because it's driven by the data. The data is the diagnosis, it's translating the care. So understanding that process, looking at the data, and then determining the populations Um, where they seek care um, and where resources to improve the data uh, or or with various outputs um, need to be obtained so where we're used to reviewing every chart right in in an acute care setting which is the highest resource intensive setting we need to now understand where to deploy or to take those resources and, and move to to understand and, and optimize the capture of that data. And that's through technology, through data analytics, but you're exactly right. In addition to um, uh, showing up the data and understanding the data and, and linking that to outcomes, quality, access to care, et cetera, we also have to manage behavioral change. And that's understanding the physician workflow, which requires education, and we're the adoption of technology uh, aligns with that strategy, so that we're all achieving the same goal.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that with okay. the global, global picture. That's important to start with that first in mind. Good point, Doctor Fee. Yeah,
1: and, and I, like I would that.
0: add uh, to to Doctor Fee's comment there
3: that you know again, depending on where the organization is in a, uh, moving into risk bearing contracts, starting with retrospective reviews uh to set an accurate baseline of expected cost of care uh, and the disease burden within that population is is really a, a great place to start it can also then the output from that and certainly working with uh organizations that uh, like dr fees that can do that provider education on documentation and and coding is a, is a really great place to start as they move further down that path Uh, Moving into more uh, prospective-type programs where conditions are sort of being curated for providers to uh, evaluate and manage at the point of care, determine is this condition present, is it not, um, really as as organizations take on more and more risk and become more mature in that, those types of programs and and workflows can really be beneficial for, for more advanced organizations.
0: Gotcha.
1: Like that. Well, I'm going to put this out to either one of you, but so what tools or technology do you recommend? Um, Does it involve the physicians? Is it the CDI workflow that might need some assistance there or some type of reporting tools? What would you suggest?
3: Yeah, so Charm, I'll I'll jump in on that one. Okay. Um, You know, I think all of the above are what are needed. And, and you keep hearing me refer back to where are you in this journey? Um, certainly tools like uh, natural language processing to sort of uh, promote our, our fund foundational technology can help to expand that scope. As Dr. Fee mentioned, um, you don't have, oftentimes organizations don't have the ability to do uh, chart reviews on all charts. Uh, using technologies such as NLP can enable much broader scope and can really enhance that CDI uh, process and make that, that process focus on things where uh, the CDI specialist needs to intervene. Let's not focus on things that aren't relevant or that are already being managed. Let's start to focus where we're gonna have an impact both on uh, the quality of care and care funding and really assist the provider uh, in delivering that care.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. I guess maybe to wrap up here, this is such a, it, it's a, it's a big topic. We've touched on a number of things from technology to the picture of the patient to, you know, vertical integrations and, and um, any final thoughts for our audience to to uh, for them to to learn more where do you guys go to learn about sort of the this changing healthcare landscape i i will say you know with an actus here we are our advisory board is working on a paper on risk based models of cdi we're trying to break down some of these models into a little more understandable pieces and how you might Implement them in an organization. It's it's, uh, it's more complicated than than uh, I had anticipated going into it But do you guys have anywhere you go or anywhere you would send the audience for further reading or other recommendations on this topic?
2: Yeah, I, I can I can start that off. I mean it it is it's it, I guess we're all learning together um, yep. and a lot of it is from to learn from the the big perspective obviously keep keep focused on what's happening with uh, the you know the Medicare transition to ACOs etc but also you know Medicare Advantage organizations have been in this model for many years so understanding some of the things you mentioned at the beginning with the consolidations understanding why organizations are doing that so Uh, you know, sources for knowledge, you know, there's some organizations out there that really look at both the policy aspect, but also the, the operations. There's NACOS, um, uh, there's other conferences, there's, there's RISE conferences. um, And then, and then there's other more traditional sources like, you know, like Actis or HFMA or whatever. Everyone's looking at the success in some of the pioneer acos or some of the pioneer pop health space and and sort of trying to understand why one was successful and why it was not so so it's really looking at a a perspective view of different sources and then also you know you know talking to your own network uh whether it be the advisory board or uh, consultants or vendors because really you know what i do is try to keep very up to date on the, the what's coming down the pike, and and then you know like at the upcoming actus conference, I'll be speaking on that as well. So, John, any other sources you can think of from your perspective?
3: Well, yeah, certainly you hit on a number of them, uh, albeit a bit dry. The uh, CMS CMMI website, <laughs> you know, is a good place to <laughs> to go and try and absorb. Um, but certainly some of the others where it's been uh, digested and condensed a bit are are great as well.
0: Yep yeah i i do think taking a look across these different verticals and you mentioned some dr fee is important i'm looking forward to your talk at the conference by the way and i think that will have help shed more light on it with a full hour and and some slides too and really appreciate you guys coming on to talk about this topic it was a good big picture and, and hopefully gave some folks some ideas about expanding into these spaces um Let's take a quick look at our poll question. So we again, we asked folks, does your CDI department assist with documentation improvement efforts to improve population health uh, data? So our results are 29% said yes, 12% said no, we're planning to do so, 23% said uh, no and don't plan to, 34% said don't know, and 3% not applicable. Um, Interesting thing is, I'm looking at, from the same question we posed in April 2020, actually a slight decline here. Um, We went from 32% saying yes in April of 2020 to 29% saying yes now. no was about equal, actually declined slightly in this latest poll. 13% said no in April 2020, but they're planning to do so. And uh, 12% said said that now. Uh, don't know when declined slightly from 37 to 34%. So pretty consistent here, maybe a slight decline in the yes. Um, you know, 3%, not a huge statistical difference, but just curious on what you think of this poll result. Maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Fee, and, and also any comparisons with April 2020. I wonder whether COVID might have had something to do with that and, and sort of a refocus on the core mission. Um,
2: yeah, I'll, I'll comment very briefly. Um, not not too surprising. <clears throat> I think, you know, as you noted, in a reaction to COVID um, in a in a the model where we traditionally operate is in a fee-for-service, low-risk, you know, low-at-risk model, let me put it that way. Um, The focus became back on fee-for-service as the recovery um, began with schedules and volumes going up. But you also are seeing changes with ED volumes being down, right? So you're seeing some change that a a new approach to care delivery is happening where uh, less are going to the ED. Uh, but the other interesting thing is so that maybe you accounted for some of the yes the the don 't know interesting aspect is not surprising from what i 've seen is because the uh transformation of health care sort of initiatives that happen at the health system typically are uh distinctly different departments or strategies than historically where c d i has been right. in the hospital. Right, so you're you're moving out of just the hospital to the health system with an entity and an ACO, etc. So sometimes those conversations are just CDI is not brought into there. So that's the first step is being at the table, introduce yourself to the chief transformation officer uh, or whomever would be leading that at the institution. Uh, and so those are really the things that I've I've seen that are are not not too su- surprising there.
0: Yep. Yeah, good point about you know introducing yourself across other out departments if you want to learn more about the space you mentioned. What what was the name you mentioned there that that title Dr. Fee you said. Uh
2: typically there's an uh, there's a couple of titles but there's a chief transformation officer who who it typically is a, a physician leader. Uh, John, you can um, give some of your experience as well, but um, it's typically a a clinician-led transformation of healthcare and it falls into many buckets. Um, And one of those is is understanding, changing care workflow and care delivery models uh, to align with an at-risk population.
3: Right. Yeah, that's right. We see that uh quite a bit, the chief transformation officer being a really central role uh in the adoption of technologies like ours, and particularly with a focus on more primary care uh orientation. I think the ambulatory CDI is uh you know sort of an an emerging field that may be separate from the CDI efforts on the hospital side. All right.
0: Well that's an interesting survey. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're getting close to the top of the hour. I did want to do a brief news segment here. This is In the News, which is a regular segment featuring the latest news and updates relevant to CDI and Actis. This particular one is not a hard news story per se, but it's a column from the pen of uh, Dr. Howard Rodenberg. He's a great volunteer within Actus. It's called Considering Moral Injury. So... As I always do, I will share the links that we share in this program in the show notes so you can read the entirety of the column. Um, Just to highlight a few things Dr. uh, Rodenberg wrote, he said in a previous work for the Actus blog, he had written that working with my own CDI staff has led me to consider that queries must meet one of three criteria in order to be written. So keep in mind this is his opinion here, but he cites financial impact queries that make a difference to reimbursement, Regulatory queries that identify or rule out conditions that might be subject to regulatory review and penalty and clinical queries, which may reflect patient care to providers reviewing the record at a late, later date. So ensuring that, you know, that, that accurate record of care. And then he wrote, I felt then as I feel now that asking a query simply to query is most likely an exercising spinning wheels and boosting metrics rather than an efficient use of CDI time. As I reflect upon the case above, however, perhaps there's another reason to avoid query, which is it may inflict moral injury. Um, He he goes on and talks a little bit about this, offers an an example here. Due to time, I won't read through all that, but it's kind of a powerful example of a a harried physician and a patient that died under care and then uh, receiving that same physician receiving a query about it. he says it's a hot topic in the literature of physician wellness especially among my own field he's an emergency physician when he's not in the cdi role seems to be replacing the term burnout which carries the implication that someone the clinician uh, that someone the clinician has failed we're also seeing the term resilience means nothing in the face of circumstances beyond one's control instead what's happening to physicians is considered as moral injury which is violations of professional ethos from external forces, you know, things like loss of professionalism, loss of autonomy. Um, really an interesting column here about, that. I think is thought provoking in terms of you know, when we should query here. Um, I know it's an opinion, but maybe just to wrap up here, any, any thoughts on this piece, Dr. Fee or, or John about, you know, we, we obviously know that queries are the core of what CDI specialists do. Um, I don't always think we talk about when not to query. Uh, usually, it's when we should, um, and the impact it might have on physicians. So, do you guys have any rules of thumb that you might follow or, or might recommend to our audience?
2: I'll just I'll take just a quick comment. Um, I, I think that it, it just speaks to a few things. Is one, he's kind of talking around the quadruple lane, and that that fourth. Uh, metric is well-being of the care team right and so this is getting more and more uh, prevalent um, in, in the industry regardless I think what's important is also something that speaking about is aligning the the metrics of success across the organization so and when we talk about pop health or or any initiative you know with quality and, and, and patient outcomes as we're looking at that especially for today's topic is to align the metrics so so it, where uh, you're measuring the success of the the day to day and in a CDI review, how are you lining that up to the ultimate outcome of what you want to achieve through the organization? I think that's a critical part, and it's not necessarily about the query, but it's a behavioral change to lead to better outcomes.
0: All right, thanks, Dr. Fee. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and wrap things up I'll just mention briefly that if you haven't yet taken our um, CDI week survey. I'm gonna share the link to this as well. We have a great fun theme this year, CDI Kitchen, recipes for a successful program. Um, We have a survey that's open till Monday, July 12th. Make sure you go ahead and take that. We've got quite a few respondents to date, but this is our once annual survey that gives us a big picture of where we are in the profession. We do publish this for all of our members. For free of charge, we analyze the results and provide that to you in the form of a nifty survey. So if you haven't taken it yet, I will provide the link to this in the show notes. All right, that is going to, to do it for today's edition of the Actus podcast. Again, I want to thank John and Dr. Fee for their great insight today on an important topic. We are going to be back here again in two weeks on Wednesday, July 21st for our next show, which is the return of the Actus National Conference. We're going to do a show dedicated to this to let you guys know what's coming up in October of this year. Yes. Rem- yeah, yeah, thrilled. As a reminder, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. And if you do have any suggestions for future guests or ideas about the, the show or there's a topic you want covered send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. All right, that will do it, everyone. We'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care now.